The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, good morning, Grove Church. So happy that you're here today. My name is Andrew. My wife, Amanda, and I are thrilled that you made time on your Sunday to attend our service. If you're a guest with us, we would love to meet you after service today and get to know you and your family a little bit better. Today we begin a brand new series called In This Together where we're talking about connecting with one another. One of the cool things that's happening in our church starting today is all of our life groups are launching this week, as you heard in the video. In addition to that, as you came into the door today, attached to your program is a a discussion question guide. And I'm a real huge fan of... uh, you and I bring in our physical Bibles to church. Obviously, version's a great app, but I think it's awesome to own a physical Bible. I think it's awesome to take a pen. And what's cool about this uh, discussion guide is you have an opportunity to take notes in the message today, to bring those to your life group. And even if uh, maybe a life group isn't your thing today, uh, my hope and prayer is that by the end of the day, I can change your mind. But with that, you can use this to uh, take notes and bring to your group this week because we all know paper never forgets. Hey, last week was an awesome Sunday. Baptisms, as well as 69 What's Next, uh, What's My Next Step cards were turned in from our campus. So give yourselves a huge hand about that. Absolutely. Um, People taking some cool steps here within our church. And so uh, we've done massive follow-up this week. So you should have been blown up with emails and phone calls and uh, text messages. And if you did not hear from us and you filled out one of those cards, um, either you went rogue or we don't have the right information. So you can connect with us in the lobby. But we'd love to help you um, get connected and take a next step in your walk with Christ. If you weren't here last Sunday and you missed actually uh, the response, we have that card available in the lobby. If you're looking to get involved, take a step, uh, you can fill out that card in the lobby at the hub area. Great opportunity uh, for you to take a next step here with our church. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in two places, John chapter 13 and uh, Proverbs 18. So you can turn to either one. I want to open up with talking about one of my favorite TV shows of all time, and that is the show Alone. It's found on the History Channel. I've spoken about it before a few years back, but I love the show Alone, and I'll, I'll give you the premise. Anyone here by the raise of a hand, you've ever watched the show Alone? Go ahead and just raise your hand for me. All right, there's a few of us in the room. Um, so the, the premise of the show alone uh, basically goes something like this. They choose a remote area. They've done the Arctic. They've done Vancouver Island, BC. Uh, They've done all sorts of different places, but they basically choose about 12 contestants. And uh, the goal is whoever can outlast by themselves, obviously alone, uh, where they're going to be placed wins $500,000. And so if you, if you watch the behind the scenes or you watch any of the, the way that the show goes, um, there's different techniques and skills and things that people have to do in order to actually even make it on the show. You have to have, you have, to have certain tools and know how to do certain things because, again, you're being dropped in an area, um, usually by boat, um, with nothing other than like a backpack, and you have to survive for however long to outlast 
you know, those that you're competing against. So the cool thing about the show is they're given uh, camera gear, high-tech camera gear, and they're required to film themselves and shoot themselves uh, with all the different scenes and the things that they're doing. And so you kind of see what they're struggling with and what they're going through each and every day as they're out there all alone. It's interesting because I've been watching the show now for several years. There's, there's different types of people on the show. There's always the, I'll just call like, this person, because it's guys and gals, like the expert, okay? And they, they, they come across in the show like they know it all, okay? They're, they're confident, they're, they're arrogant, they're, they're, they're very motivated, they, they know how to catch fish, they know how to uh, survive in the wild, and they just seem, in, in everyone standing when you're watching it, like they're, they're gonna be the winner, okay? Because they're just so bold about how amazing and, and experienced they are. Um, so there's that person. There's, there's also the, the person I would consider like just the rookie. When you meet the contestants and you're watching the show, you're like, how did this person even make it onto this show? Like this person doesn't know anything, it feels like. And you have zero confidence in that person. And then there's a you know, variety of different people that come on the show and, and experience this thing, the techniques and the skills, how to make a fire, how to catch fish, how to survive torrential downpours, how to survive wind, rain, crazy weather conditions, all these kind of things. The interesting thing about the show, no matter who goes on the show, no matter how long they last, there's this common uh, thread. Doesn't matter the skill, uh, doesn't matter the location, uh, there is always a breaking point for every person on this show. And it happens for some three days in, for, for others it happens 40 days in, for, for some it happens 20 days in. For, for others, I think one person lasted almost 60 days, but there is always a breaking point when they're out there alone. And, and it's captured because it's, they're, they're required to record them, themselves. And the breaking point is fascinating to watch, honestly, um, because every person breaks down because of the isolation. They, they, they will freak out. They will use language that no one approves of in church. They will uh, go crazy, honestly. And they, they begin just to break down on camera because being alone and being isolated for that long away from, you know, some of them have large families. Some of them have only a few family members. Some of them just have close friends. But they begin on film to describe the difficulty and the ache and the pain of living in isolation for long periods of time. And what ends up happening is over the course of the show, weeks, sometimes days, sometimes some within 24 hours, they just can't handle it and they, they tap out. They call in the boat, they tap out and, and they go home. Some obviously get injured, some other situations happen, but for every person who stays the longest, they begin to have this freak out. It's interesting because when we think about that, we go, well, why? Why is there a breakdown? Why does someone eventually just not handle the isolation? Well, whether or not they believe in God or believe in Christ at all, you and I both know that we were never meant to live alone and do life alone. We were actually never meant to be in isolation by ourselves. We need one another. Which leads me to an article uh, posted about three years ago uh, about a famous pastor by the name of Perry Noble. Uh, this is a, a gentleman who about three years ago had to step down from his extremely large 
large megachurch. And he wrote about the power of isolation and what ended up happening in his life. Um, And I think it's really um, stunning what he has to say about isolation. I want to read to you his words. He writes, I chose isolation over community. I was a hypocrite. I preached you can't do life alone, and then I went out and lived the opposite. Isolation is where self-pity dominated my thinking, thus justifying my abuse of alcohol. Isolation is where self-doubt dominated my emotions, causing me to believe I just could not carry the weight anymore and alcohol was necessary for me to make it through another day. He goes on to write, isolation is where self-hatred dominated my mentality. I hated myself, literally hated myself for doing what I was doing, but believed the lie that this was just the way things were and there was no way it could ever get better. And this last thing I think is probably the most profound thing he wrote. I chose isolation all the while knowing that a strong community of people who really loved me would rally around me and walk with me through the valley I was in. Just one example of, a, of another person choosing isolation when there was people that could have supported and cared for him when he was struggling with what he was going through. See, it's interesting because if we think about isolation and we think about even what that feels like, isolation has, has sentences or definition to what it says. Isolation says, you're the only one who has this issue. Isolation says, you're the only one that has this issue, so therefore you should stay quiet about it because you're really the only one that struggles with that one thing. Isolation also says, no one will understand you. In fact, if you get vulnerable or get honest or connect with others and begin to open yourself up, you won't be understood. People won't understand what you're going through, so therefore, go ahead and stay quiet about whatever struggle or situation you're facing. Isolation says it's better for you to stay closed off than to be open and vulnerable. Isolation says you can do this on your own. You don't need anyone to help you. Proverbs 18.1 is a very powerful verse. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So there's something powerful that the enemy would love for you and I to do. And that would be to choose to live in isolation away from connecting with others. In fact, it's one of his biggest schemes to try to separate you from the community of God's people and not get you to connect and do life and care for others. We talk a lot about the vision of our church and it's a very simple sentence for our vision. It says this, that we will love God, connect with each other, and serve all. This is the vision of the Grove Church. Both campuses, one church, two location, love, connect, serve. That what we want people to do in our church and in our community is number one, we want them to love the Lord God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. 
That's the highest priority for us, that people who walk through the doors of both Marysville and Snohomish, who interact with people all throughout the week, that they would find Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Can I hear an amen? I mean, that's the ultimate thing, and that's why we wake up every single day. But the second thing is that we want people to connect. We want people to connect with one another. We actually know through research that people will come to a service or come to a gathering and they may like the experience for a certain length of time, but they will only actually stay at any church when they find connection, when they find relationship, when they know somebody in the room that they can connect with. There's power in connection. I'll never forget a time when man and I it's kind of rare in our world where I got to take a Sunday off and uh, we just went to a church as a family. I'm not going to tell you the name. Went to a church as a family, obviously not Grove because we just wanted to enjoy being a little bit of a way and having a break. This was years ago now uh, before we even had kids and I, I hated myself for doing this, but I, I, it always speaks to me when I think about relationships and connection. Man and I walked into this lobby, much bigger than uh, our current context right now. I mean, it's probably over a thousand people uh, in this church. And we walked into uh, this just buzzing lobby, the same sound that our lobby has when we dismiss, just crazy people everywhere. It was electric. And obviously my personality, I love it. I'm like, what's up? You know? Um, and so I remember walking into this lobby and, and we didn't know a soul. We didn't know anybody. Obviously no one knows us. We don't know them. And I remember walking into a, a gathering like, like that and I I had Amanda's hand and she's like, come on, let's go get a coffee. I'm like, okay, I just want to just kind of look around and get, kind of get familiar with the land, you know, because I'm a, kind of a pastor. I'm always like looking at other churches and what they're doing, how to get better and learn. And so I'm like walking around and I mean, I feel like I got a smiling face. You know, I, mean? I feel like I know how to smile. I, I feel like I'm pretty outgoing and easy to be around sometimes. Um, and so I'll never forget just kind of walking around the, the lobby and, and Amanda was getting her coffee and I just was like, this is like, <laughs> You know, just, just seeing, like, like, could I get into someone's little circle or could, like, will someone say hi to me? And it was just this reality that, and nothing against that church, they're doing great things for the kingdom. But the reality of it is you and I, we sometimes, just by nature, we gravitate to people that we know. We all know this. We gravitate to people that we know. And so even in that environment, in that big setting, I realized that if we would stay at that church, obviously it wasn't our home church, but if we were going to stay there, we would need to build connection. It's, it's the same feeling you, you and I have when you walk into a, a party, any type of a birthday party. What do you, what do you, what's the first thing you do? You walk into a party if you don't know anybody and you're like, oh, there's Bob. Hey, hey, Bob. How's it going, man? Yeah, I don't know anybody, but I know Bob. You know what I mean? You look for a familiar face. You look for someone to connect to. We know this is the reality in life and in church. That when people walk into the doors of a, of a gathering, they walk into, and they don't know a soul, I guarantee you, they feel uncomfortable. I guarantee you, they feel awkward. I guarantee you, they're looking for someone to connect to. Connect with each other, the vision of the grove. And then lastly, to serve all. And we've talked about serving a ton within this context. I want to just for a few minutes, just think about the relationship Jesus had 
with his disciples, which is gonna lead us to John 13. If, if we think about the relationship Jesus had with his disciples, because we all know he's our model, he's the one we should follow. So if we just think about the life of Jesus for a few minutes before we get to John 13, here's what we've learned from the life of Jesus found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four gospels describe the life of Jesus. What we know about Jesus for the most part is that from the time he was born to roughly around age 30, he was a carpenter. He worked with his father, and that was his trade. At around age 30, through the baptism of John the Baptist, Jesus started his public ministry. And within that three years' time, roughly, we see that there was a crowd of about 100 people that followed Jesus around. There were times he would be trying to leave to go to one place, and they would follow him to the other side of the lake. There were times where he would leave one town because they didn't have enough faith to believe, and he would go somewhere else. But there was always a crowd of people following Jesus, roughly around 100, 100 people or so. But if we break Break down the life of Jesus within the Gospels. Here's what we find. We find that he called 12 disciples, Matthew, Judas, Peter, James, and John. So we had, Jesus had his 12 disciples, but then with, even within the 12 disciples, when we think about how did Jesus connect, we also see in many examples that Jesus also had three people that he connected with. Their names are Peter, James, and John. In fact, there are different significant moments in the life of Christ where Jesus and his three amigos were together with him. One of them, Mark 9, Jesus' transfiguration. If you remember, he goes up on the mountain. There's Moses and Elijah and God, and who's with them? Peter, James, and John. There's another time in Jesus' life, probably the most agonizing time, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and guess who's with him praying? When the other disciples are off praying, he takes them to a specific spot, who? Peter, James, and John. And in his most agonizing time of life, before he leads himself to the cross of Calvary, Peter, James, and John are there with him in that moment. We see Jesus was connected to people. Probably the most powerful illustration of Jesus' connection to people is found in John 13. This is the famous washing of the disciples' feet. Let's just read this here for a few minutes. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, Praise God for food. When the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He lay aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So he basically wanted an entire shower. Okay, it's awesome. All right, Peter always wanting more. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. 
When he washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. So today we got buckets. Megan, can we get, no, I'm just kidding. We don't have that. But if you think about this just for a moment, okay, we're going to go to first century, get, put ourselves in the world of Jesus's day. Okay, we're, we're not talking like awesome, cool boots and like Birkenstocks, okay? We're not talking that here, folks. We're like a basic sandal where animals plow, where there's lots of stuff in the road. This is disgusting, okay? This is nasty. In fact, in that day and in that culture, again, this is first century culture, it was never the job of even the master of the house or the, the owner of the home or, or even someone, you know, as, as Jesus being in their home. It was never their job to wash their feet. You know whose job it was to wash their feet? We're talking like the lowest, lowest person. The, the lowest servant of the house would be the person that when you'd walk into their home out of respect, you'd remove you know, your one strap sandal, no Birkenstock here, one, and literally begin to wash out of respect for their home. So what we see in, in, in Jesus is that he's so connected to the disciples. He cares so deeply for them that he does something that is unheard of by taking the lowest position and the lowest status and washing their feet. Here's another sermon for a day we can't get into today. How many disciples were there? Not a trick question. 12. How many disciples' feet were washed? 12. It's interesting that Jesus also gets down very low, different message for a different day, gets down very low and washes Judas's feet. The one that in just a few moments later will betray him and turn him over to the Roman government for 30 pieces of silver and he washes Judas's feet. So we see here this. Okay, so we have the 12 disciples. We have Peter, James, and John, this inner circle now let's, let's just think fast forward for a minute from this moment, okay? They don't understand why he's doing this. He's washing their feet. He's wanting them to go and do likewise, to serve one another. And in the room, okay, are the, are the three amigos. We got Peter, we got James, we got John. We got Peter, who's prideful and arrogant and thinking, well, you're not just gonna wash my feet, you're gonna wash all of me. We have John and we also have James, Jesus' brother. Now, if we just fast forward and look at scripture and just understand what happens from here after this situation begins Jesus' trial, his crucifixion, his resurrection, the ascending of the Holy Spirit. So there's a progression here after this moment. If we look just for the minute of Peter's life, how connected he was to Jesus, how committed he was to Jesus. If we just take Peter and look at what happened to Peter for just a moment. Peter, the loud mouth, sometimes getting it wrong, sometimes getting it right. Peter, the guy who cuts off the soldier's ear when they're about to take his Lord and Savior away. Peter, the leader of the pack, who again, doesn't always get it right. What happens to Peter? He's so connected to Jesus. He's so about Jesus's mission. He's so about the relationship that he's had with Jesus that once Christ ascends into heaven, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes and what happens? It's Peter who stands in front of thousands of people and says, 
the Christ, the Son of the living God, the ones that we crucified, he's alive. We contribute him as the beginning of Christianity from after Christ rose again because he was so connected and deeply about the mission of Jesus. Let's look at James for just a moment here. James, not only was he Jesus' brother who wrote a powerful epistle, self-titled James, and stands today as one of the strongest proofs of Jesus' resurrection because his own brother believed he was the son of God. What happens to James? He becomes a leader in the Jerusalem council and the church. He writes this powerful letter, and he's so committed and connected to Jesus that he ends up being stoned and martyred for his belief and his faith in Jesus Christ. Think about how powerful that connection is. History tells us that Peter was so connected and committed to Jesus that at one point when he is having to be martyred for his faith, maybe you've heard this before, true story, he says, please, if you're going to crucify me, please do not crucify me the way my Lord and Savior was crucified. Crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to die the same way my Savior has died. Power of connection. This connection that brings commitment. This connection that feeds commitment. Lastly, the, the three amigos there at the washing of the feet, the, the beloved disciple who wrote this gospel wrote one, two, three of John, wrote Revelation, outlasted them all, probably the final living disciple after the resurrection of Jesus. And you know what happens to the beloved disciple because he's so connected to Christ and his mission and so connected to him and committed? You know what happens? He gets excommunicated to an island to live there and die where he wrote what we know today as Revelations. Why? Why? Why did Peter do what he did? Why, why did James do what he did? Why did John do what he did? Because they were deeply connected to Jesus. And when you're connected to Jesus and you're connected to him, you're gonna be committed to his mission and what he came to do. So we fast forward today to 2019 and I want you to be encouraged today that your connection to the body of Christ and this context matters deeply. Your connection matters deeply to this church. Your connection to one another matters deeply because when we are connected to one another, we're committed to living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, if we even look at the life of Jesus and we study him, it's amazing because Jesus definitely models solitude. We see times where Jesus escapes and prays in the desert. We see times where he moves away from the crowd to seek the Father, but Jesus never modeled, never modeled isolation. He wanted to be connected to others. He wanted to be connected to Peter, James, and John. He wanted you and I to connect with him and to one another. I wanna encourage you that there is power in connection. There's power in relationship. There's power in knowing one another. At the Grove, we primarily make this connection happen through life groups, through small groups, through cell groups, through whatever you want to call them. That's how we make connection happen through the Grove Church. 
It's our primary way where we ask people to connect with one another. And some of us will sit here today and say, you know, I'm not joining your groups. I'm never joining a group. I don't do groups. I don't go in people's homes. I don't get vulnerable. I don't talk about my feelings. Ain't happening. I'm out of here. And you know what? You can say that today. You can argue for that. That's fine. Here's what I would say to you. You were never meant to live in isolation away from the body of Christ. So even if you walk out here today and go, you know what, I'm not joining a group. The ones on the screen you're about to show, there's not one for me. I'm not doing one. That's not my thing. You know what? Okay. All I'm asking for you today is to understand that you were designed to be connected with other people in the body of Christ. You were designed to be honest and open and connect with people within the body of Christ. Jesus modeled life on life. He modeled relationship connections. He modeled sharing his life with others. One of the things I think about a lot of times when I think of small groups, because I'm 33 now, I'll be 34 next month, and I can't remember a time in my life. I grew up in a Christ-centered home. Mom and dad were were pastors. I, I, I can't remember a time in my life, even as a young, young person, that I was not connected into a small group or a group of people that shared life with me, that kept me accountable, that sharpened me, that encouraged me. I, 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 preparing this message, I started to think, even when I was off in college, was there, there was never been a time in my life where I wasn't connected to others and doing life with others, never. And the reason why, because apart from me being a pastor, apart from me doing this as a profession, I knew early on that I grow best when I'm connected to other people. In fact, I can grow personally with my relationship with Christ. I can read God's word. I can pray. I can seek him. But the way I truly grow outwardly, the way I really grow, not just vertically with me and God, but outwardly to others and those who are broken and worthy to be found is actually through people who've challenged me and kind of sharpened me and have changed how I think about things. I firmly believe we grow best in our walk with Christ through our connection to others. We actually know Christ more by our relationship with one another. So I wanna put on the screen, these are the fall groups that we're offering and they're gonna be in the lobby today to connect with you. But these are the fall groups that we're offering that I think are great opportunities for connection. Do we have those? Okay, perfect. So I got my, my man, Tony, back here. He's leading the men's life group, 630 Lake Stevens. If you're a dude and you want to connect with other dudes, great opportunity starts this Tuesday. I got Lisa, his wife. She's leading a women's life group. It's awesome because we have a variety of gals group in different locations. One's in Everett on Tuesday, 7 p.m. Next one for me. I got Rhonda and Juliana, same night, different location, 7 p.m., Snohomish. Again, I'm going fast because I want to end on time. You can connect with all these leaders in the lobby today. Next one. Awesome. I got Erica and Daniel. This is a cool one. I'm really excited about this one. This is couples with kids, which is unique because a lot of times you have a couple, they want to join a life group, but they have littles. They don't know what to do. They don't have a child care situation set up. What's cool about them is they're opening up their home and have opportunity downstairs to take care of that. We have an awesome moms group that was established last year. Again, it's a life group led by Crystal and Brittany, Snohomish Boys and Girls Club, Tuesdays, 10 o'clock. That's for moms with littles. My wife and I, we lead a group, South Marysville. This is a couples group. Uh, Kids are watched by kid care that you find. 
in our home. Don, Don and Kathleen DiColetti's. This is a mixed group, so married and singles. 5.30, Linwood. It launches a week from today. Last one here, John and Moya, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, couples group, South Marysville. Another great opportunity for you to connect. And I believe that is all of them. You might look at a group of like that and go, man, I don't see any for my age group. or I don't see any for my type of life. Well, I would encourage you that maybe you should connect with me afterwards and go, hey, I didn't see one in this category. I would love to host or be a part of starting one. That's obviously always something we encourage people to do if they want to get connected. I want to throw a picture up of my life group because I'm proud of it and I love it. And I want to show you that I don't preach something that I don't do. This is my life group and it's growing. As you can see, it's crazy. It's out of control. These people are nuts. I've missed them. I can't wait to see them again on Thursday. But here's what I encourage you when I, when I leave up a photo like this for a minute. I would never ask you to do something that I don't do. I don't live that way. What I say up here is how I live out there. And I love this opportunity right here. I love that my kids are getting to know these kids. I mean, maybe there's like a prearranged marriages happening here. I don't know. Like, right? But I love this because there is power in connection. There's power in relationship. I'm a better Christ follower, not pastor. I'm a better Christ follower because of Tyler and Donald in my life and Phil. I'm a better Christ follower. My wife is a better Christ follower because of these gals in their life, in her life. My kids... And their kids love each other and it's crazy and we eat really good food, but there is such power in connection and relationship with others. And so I wanna encourage you today. Next week, I'm gonna talk more about the power of connection. I wanna encourage you today to consider joining a life group. Consider getting connected to the body of Christ. Consider being committed to the mission of what God has called you to do by being a part of the Grove Church. Again, we want people to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want people to connect. We want people to do life together. We want people to share their burdens and support each other and pray for each other and lift each other up. And then lastly, yeah, we want people to serve both here and out there. But the, this is the values. These are the things that we're known by. And these are the things that I believe are gonna continue to happen here in our church. Why don't you bow your heads with me today? God, we just thank you and praise you that, Lord, when you sent your son, Jesus, you modeled being connected. God, you didn't just have the crowds. Jesus, you didn't just even just have the 12, but you had Peter, James, and John that you were extremely close to. And we thank you, God, that there is power in connection. God, we thank you that there is honesty and vulnerability and trust when we open up our hearts to others. And so I pray today, God, for anyone in here that maybe they're nervous or maybe they're nervous, maybe they're scared, maybe they're wondering, oh, that's not for me, I don't do that kind of thing. I just pray right now, God, through your Holy Spirit, that you would calm all of our hearts in this place. We thank you, God, that none of us in this room should isolate. None of us in this room, God, should struggle alone. None of us in this room should feel like we have 
no one to care for us, no one to support us, no one to build us up. And so I pray right now, I, I, break, I break down fear in the name of Jesus. I, I break down walls of isolation or walls of, of, of fear that would hinder someone from connecting with one another. I, I pray that our, our church would be known for the way we connect to one another, that our eyes would always be open to the next person that would walk through our doors, that would walk into our home, that would walk into our lives, that you would give us those eyes to see and the ears to hear that we are better together than apart. And I thank you, Jesus, that we're gonna be connected because of you. I thank you, Jesus, that you are moving in our church. I thank you, Jesus, that even right now there are kids in all these new spaces today that are learning about you. And I thank you, God, that you continue to build your church. And we trust you for it. In your good name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.